0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, Hello. everyone.
1: It is Wednesday night, and it is time for the happiest hour on the internet, Friends and Fiction. We are really looking forward to spending some time with all of you, so let's get started. I am Patty Callahan-Henry.
2: I'm Mary Kay Andrews.
0: I'm Kristen Harmel.
2: And I'm Christy Winston-Harvey. And this is Friends in Fiction,
0: four New York
1: Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians, and you, readers. Tonight, we have a huge surprise guest for you. Jennifer Robson of The Gown and Coronation Year. Elizabeth Strout had to cancel due to, as as happens, unforeseen circumstances. So now, tonight, we are pre-taping our show and we have the privilege of talking to Jennifer about her books about Queen Elizabeth.
0: We are so excited. You know, all of us have been riveted to the news about the sad loss of Queen Elizabeth II and we wanted to dive in to her legacy a bit tonight with our pal and bestselling author, Jennifer. Our news feeds have been flooded with information about the monarch and the line of succession and
2: all the royal watching gossip. And I don't know about you guys, but my people magazine and my <laughs> are all yep. filled. that's like an embarrassing real confession that I just made here on Friends and Fiction. It's not
1: embarrassing. No. I mean, I think. We all have the same thing on our coffee
0: table. I also get people. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you also used to write for people. So I it's did. It's not really not bad
3: if anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just good news. That's all. That's all I gotta say. It is good yeah. news. And you know the TV series The Crown is set to air again in November, and the royal family is everywhere. By the way, I um, bought myself a, a tiara for the occasion, <laughs> and can I just tell you, this thing hurts. Oh, like, literally, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know, what would have been, been really the words out of my mouth?
2: You know what would have been really beautiful for tonight is the gorgeous headpiece that I bought
3: you for the wedding veil launch that you complained about so very much. <laughs> would have been perfect. Yeah, like that one though. I know, but you know, I also I, you know they they uh, the palace announced today that it was the official end of mourning. Yeah, but I you know I. I didn't know that before I scheduled my my uh, millinery. So even though um, even though I mean it's super dusty because I haven't worn it since Charles died, but. Um, <laughs>
1: that that is it looks like Kate's hat that's what she wore Meg just
3: said I'm sure it's the same thing anyway um the crown is going to air again in November and news about the royal families everywhere but Jennifer Robson knows the real deal so let's Mm -hmm. talk about it all
0: so before we begin, did you know that we at Friends and Fiction are on Fable, the book club app? I bet you did know that if you've been listening to us. Our club is called Behind the Book, and now it's time to announce the book for the month. Are you ready? Patty? let's have a drum roll. <laughs>
1: okay, it is Elizabeth Strout's Lucy by the Sea. I will be hosting this month, and I'll be in the app talking to all of you about the book. So I'll meet you over there later.
3: (laughs) And all you have to do to read along with us is download the Fable app and join our premium club full of behind the scenes, which you info, which you won't get any place else. It's just $5 a month to join our club. If you haven't joined yet, just download the Fable app and take advantage of the 14-day free trial Fable is offering right now. You can learn more at fable.co backslash friends and fiction.
2: Tonight, instead of our Ask Us Anything, we will be doing a round robin of questions about the Queen and Jennifer's books. But no worries, we'll be back next week with our Ask Us Anything and our Just Us episode. So exciting. So excited. Yeah. Um, For now, let's get to our dear friend, Jennifer Robson, who has written about Queen Elizabeth in two books.
3: Jennifer is an academic by background and a lifelong self-professed history nerd. She is the author of six novels set during and after the two world wars, including Somewhere in France, After the War is Over, Moonlight Over Paris, and The Gown, a work of historical fiction concerning the creation of the wedding gown for Queen Elizabeth's 1947 marriage to Prince Philip. Her Mm -hmm. most recent novel was Our Darkest Night. Jen's
0: upcoming novel for 2023 is more timely than she could have known. It's called Coronation Year, and it's set in London in 1953, the year the new queen is to be crowned.
1: God, I love that cover. Yeah, isn't that mm-hmm. beautiful? That mm-hmm. cover is chill bump stunning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer is a slouch in the uh, um, academic department. She studies... <laughs> She studied French literature and modern history as an undergraduate at King's University at Western, then attended St. Anthony's College at the University of Oxford, where she obtained a doctorate in British economic and social history. Mm -hmm. While at Oxford, she was a Commonwealth scholar and an S.A. S S H R C Doctoral Fellow, which we're going to have to ask her to um untangle that acronym there.
2: <laughs> Jennifer lives in Toronto, Canada with her husband and three children and shares office space with Ellie the Sheepdog and her feline companions, Sam and Micah. Sean, could you bring Jennifer on to join us?
4: Hi everyone. Hello, Hello. Hi, no. So we good to so see everyone's there. lovely faces.
3: You too, always.
1: you too. We are always happy to see you. So let's dive in, my friends. All right. It Although has been a
4: few weeks.
1: A few. <laughs> oh
4: my Wait. goodness! You were uh, here for
1: our darkest night, right? I was. Well I was.
4: Night. I was just referring to since Her Majesty died. I feel as if oh. yeah, it's. You know, I'm still coming to terms with it, funnily enough, um, just in that sense of waking up in the morning and then having to remind myself that this has mm-hmm. happened. Um, yeah. And uh, it just, it really does feel as if an era has come to an end. Yeah. Um, and it, it's hard to process it. It's, uh, you know, each day I, 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 I think I, I figure it out a little bit more and, and not to set aside the very real problems that are afflicting this world right now i mean it, it, we some, have
1: not lived in a world none of the five of us yeah, have lived in yeah. a world that she wasn't alive yeah
4: in. Was the very youngest people who would know the world without her would be well into their 80s i mean my father's 82 and remembers her yeah. coronation and remembers when the king was king but uh any younger than about 80 uh, yeah. really there would be very few people with direct memories of life before she was this global presence
0: yeah
2: yeah I read a stat, which you probably, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I think it said that like 90% of the world has never known a world in which she wasn't queen. I for think that time. sounds pretty That's accurate to me. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. like, she's literally been queen for so long that the vast majority of the world has never lived in a time when she wasn't, which is yeah.
4: really crazy to think about. Yeah. And wow. crushed every longevity record. I think the, the only uh, monarch who, who, Reigned longer was Louis the Fourteenth because I think he was an infant when he became king. Yeah. Um, but but that you know. But there's
1: been no queen.
4: No has no, been. and just also because of the just the growth of kind of modern technology and and you know the ubiquity of of kind of of the mass media and and where it, her 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 picture just everywhere uh, means that she's more familiar to us than anyone living you know uh, under Louis XIV ever was. Um, Vanishingly few people would have have met or or seen the man um, relative to say the overall population of France. Um, When you think of how many people not only stopped photographs and 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 film of the queen but actually uh, met her over the course yeah. of her reign or or saw her go by but but in terms of people she met that she shook hands with um we're we're talking like probably into the hundreds of thousands over yeah. over 70 plus years it's yeah. it kind of blows your mind when you think of it also makes you maybe want to Reach for some hand sanitizer. We uh, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, usually had her gloves on, but
1: still. I know, but she stayed, and, and we never knew her sick. We no, didn't even know no. her sick when she
2: died. Like no. It's probably why her immune system was so good. Yeah, <laughs> really? So good, yeah. I yeah. think okay, she was. Let's, just- oh, let's dive into your book. In
1: I know, because we're just going to dive down this rabbit <laughs> hole, but I really want to talk about your books before we get moving. So you've been on the show previously, but. Could you tell our viewers a bit about the gown and about the coronation year and what they're about and and how they might or might not tie together before yeah. we start really getting into how much we miss her?
4: Well, for, for sure. So the, the gown um, is set in 1947 and it followed an earlier book of mine called Goodnight from London that ends on VE day. And I I started because I wanted, to answer the question of what happened to ordinary people in Britain after the war. Um, because a lot of our, our you know, our, our, popular kind of uh, images, uh, the collective consciousness, we, we kind of think of, of V day and the cheer the crowds in Trafalgar Square and everyone cheering and happy and then sometimes we just seem to zip ahead to the 1950s and I was really interested in what happened in the 1940s um and I, but I needed something to attach uh uh the book to rather than just one long grim miserable epic about how terrible life was mm-hmm. in Britain in the post war years and the wedding seemed to me to be this uh, kind of this beacon amid all the gloom Um, and so my next step having thought well i want to write something about the royal wedding was to find a way to write about it uh, that would connect ordinary people to the story as opposed to it being about the queen and and courtiers and so on not that i wasn't interested but i just thought i would have I, I wasn't confident I could um, have any insight into the Queen's interior life, and I'm, I know this is something we'll probably talk about a bit later, about how she was in some way such a mysterious person. Um, so I decided to to go inside the workrooms where her wedding gown was made um, uh, of Nor- Norman Hartnell, the designer. And what made the gown extraordinary was was not the style of the gown. I think most of us have a picture of, of uh, our, you know, moms or grandmas wearing a very similar wedding dress, if they happened to get married in that period. The, the, you know, the princess line, fitted bodice, long sleeves. What made it extraordinary was the embroidery. So those were the people I focused on, um, fictitious uh, characters, uh, but they felt they felt real to me. Um, and I have just behind me this little embroidery that I did because I, I wanted to learn. of the embroidery myself. I thought that would be a a good way to kind of Get inside the story. Um, now that is the one single thing that I made. I, I mm-hmm. ran out of steam mm-hmm. after doing that. That took me ten hours. This one little embroidered <laughs> oh star, little diamond chips, and um, uh, and pearls. Um, so that was the story of the gown, uh, and it was uh, you know was split between the points of view of three women: one modern day woman who's the granddaughter of one of my characters from nineteen forty seven, um, and then with coronation year i still i just keep coming back to world war ii and its aftermath because it's it's you know i there's there's millions of stories there i mean we're just scratching the surface uh you know even though people keep saying when will when will world war ii be over Mm -hmm. as a thing that people write about and i think confidently i i can't imagine in my lifetime that people will stop writing about it um and so again, I thought, what do can I center a book on um, that will show what life was like in that period, um, without necessarily being about the queen, uh, but being kind of having her as 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 uh, a point on the compass, if 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 I can put it that way, that everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, directs themselves towards. So it's, uh, Coronation Year is set in a little hotel in London called the Blue Lion, uh, that's been around since 1560 in the same family, the Howard family, um, really lurching from disaster to disaster. I mean, they, there's never been a lot of money. It's never been very successful. Um, and and it's now down to the last surviving Howard, uh, a young woman called Edwina Duncan Howard or for short to keep the hotel open. And and she has this one extraordinary chance uh, as, you know, she's really down to her her last few pennies uh, when the parade route for uh, the coronation is announced and um, the blue line is right on the parade route, which means she can charge a fortune for her rooms. Uh, just as they do even now right if you happen to have a uh, a business or a hotel or even your own private flat that overlooks uh, a procession for a royal wedding or a coronation uh, you, you can you can charge a premium for those rooms um, and so it's the story of how Edie tries to save her hotel um, with the help of two friends uh, a young artist called James Geddes who's come to live at the hotel He's he's been awarded a Uh, commissioned to paint the queen on her coronation day Um, and a young woman called uh, Stella Donati who's a photojournalist and if the name seems at all familiar to anyone um, if you read Our Darkest Night she's one of the central characters in Our Darkest Night and I've I've brought her from Italy uh, to to go on an adventure um, in England. I cannot wait to read that book.
3: yeah I think it's so interesting the way that the wheels turn in our minds and how the one story hooks into another story. Um, You know, when Elizabeth died, she was both the longest lived and longest reigning monarch. Um, I... um, I was, you know, drugged up from knee surgery, but I was still turned on, you know, the television and was and was watching it. What do you think? Um, what do you think it is about about the monarchy and Elizabeth in particular? I mean, I I read somewhere that eight. How many people watch the funeral? Billion or something. What do you think it is that that is so magnifying or fascinating to all of us?
4: I think it's that there. It's hard to imagine a world without them in the background. Even if, if you're not British or you're not part of the Commonwealth, in the sense that the Queen is not um, your head of state or even a kind of part of the you know the broad system of governance. Um, uh, you know that that you live under um she was still this, this presence that was just and she changed i mean you know the the, the elizabeth of 1947 is a very different elizabeth of, of 2022 um but she was always resolutely there and and she never you know she 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 had a, a stoicism to her that I think we can recognize anybody who knows anyone uh, who lived through the Second World War will, will recognize very much that chin up get on with it the keep calm and carry on attitude Mm -hmm. uh which she had throughout her life um and it it's it's something to look up to above and beyond the whole she's royal and all of that which i always take with a bit of a grain of salt as much as i'm a canadian and she's my head of state and and now it's the king who's the head of state of canada um above and beyond that and and i think it's fair to say you know if 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 you personally have some issues with the idea of an inherited monarchy, um, separate from that, there's, they're the people themselves. And she, there's much in the queen to look up to in terms of, of courage, uh, of bravery, of, um, of, of doing something that was frankly at times very boring, uh, very dull, uh, very tiresome and exhausting and never being known to complain over seventy years and hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of public engagements a year, well, public and private. I mean, there's the work she was doing every day that nobody saw, uh, going through the dispatch boxes and so on, and um, and all something that was never her choice in the first place, uh, which is the thing that is is hard to imagine for so much of us who, whose our lives are. are you know governed by kind of a a sense of freedom that yeah she never knew Uh, when she was 10 years old she became you know uh the the heir or the heiress presumptive there was always this idea that even though her parents were in their 40s they could somehow produce a boy who would have jumped the line of succession so she was just the heiress presumptive but to be from 10 to be told well this is it this is what your life will be. You will be the monarch. Yeah. You are set apart. You are set apart. You cannot have a life like anyone else. You cannot go and live in the country and, you know, raise horses and corgis, which is probably what she would have done if she'd had a choice. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of, I think it would have been terrifying uh, to to have been freighted with that, to have that um, kind of Draped on your shoulders as a little girl and then to never, ever um, question it uh, publicly or to complain or to moan. I mean, you know, there's a wonderful British tradition. I say this as the, you know, the granddaughter of people from Britain where it's, you know, whining about things is looked down upon but there's something about having a good moan or a good whinge to let off steam which is perfectly acceptable but there's you know there's a difference between two things and she may well have occasionally had a good whinge behind closed doors about the tiresome people she had to deal with um i'm sure (laughs) warth johnson you know was not her favorite person um uh but but she never let people down i mean if she was needed to go and 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 do something publicly she would show up and and you know even into her 90s, that's just it's kind of mind-blowing. I mean yeah everybody yeah. else gets to retire. The, even the Pope gets to retire if he yeah. wants to well,
3: she was such a, She's such a sphinx too because she never really talked about or wrote about what she really thought about anything and don't you say that in the, in the in the essay you wrote, Jennifer yeah. So never complain did, never, never, did never explain
4: yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, Christy, you have it exactly, and and also she saw it as her constitutional duty that that she was. Uh she was able to kind of counsel, uh, warn, um, uh, discuss uh, matters of state with her politicians. Uh, but at no point were her public views ever to be known. Otherwise, she would not be able uh, to uh, to execute her constitutional role as, as monarch. Um, mm-hmm. And she kept to that and, you know, really her public views that we know of are, are pretty anodyne. I mean, they're the ones that everybody can can get, you know, be kind to others, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, but that actually made her most things to most people uh, as opposed to if you take a hard stance on something, no matter how meaningful, uh, you're, you are invariably alienate uh, the people who have a different stance on that. Um, that's something that I think Charles is going to uh struggle with i think uh the king will struggle with in the months to come which is he will have to set aside his public opinions uh he Mm -hmm. has said he will do so um but i think it's going to be really hard uh for him to to not weigh in publicly um and and to have to let other people you know do the talking um you know and 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 i'm not uh, discrediting his opinions I think his stance on the environment is is very reasonable Um, and he he was an environmentalist back in the 70s and 80s when he got laughed at for it Um, but he's not allowed under kind of effectively the the deal as it were uh, the way things are set up uh, for him to be the head of state he is really not allowed to uh, be forth on things so He he may he may end up. I suspect we're going to see over the next you know few months in in the coming years where he bumps up against that and has some difficulty, as any of us would. I mean, imagine if you'd had it. You as know, anyone who's not to the queen, exactly. Has, has yeah, and because yeah. there's nobody else in the royal family, uh, with possible exception of the queen mum, who is also very good at at you know just not expressing public. You know her, her opinions too strongly on anything beyond horse racing and how, how strong she liked her gin and tonics. Um, uh, but, you know, everybody else in the royal family, uh, I think actually one other exception would be the, the princess, the current princess of Wales, uh, who has walked a very, very fine line. I mean, and when I say that, I mean she's done it very well uh, between advocating forcefully for things that she finds important and, I think, how can anyone be against improving children's mental health? I mean, that's, that's a, a, it's a safe topic. It's also a worthy topic, Um, but she also does, you know, we just, there's no record of her having uh, a a controversial opinion on anything. Um, And she's been, that takes a lot of discipline, (laughs) you know, I mean, imagine if, again, if I, if someone told me, well, you can't have a public opinion on anything anymore, Jennifer, about anything you can't we're not going to tell
1: mary Kay that
4: do it super it. Well. and it, so with the <laughs> discipline it takes but i think with the queen you see that the discipline came from the war years um and also just from the shock of what her uncle abdicating did to her family yeah. i mean they went from being yeah. not private citizens but living pretty quietly she was the equivalent of of um uh, Princess Eugenie uh, in the line of succession. Uh, if you, if you. Oh wow! So no, just you know. skip
1: right over to that. Yeah, and
4: yeah. and imagine you know, if, say Charles had never had any children and had abdicated, uh, and then the throne uh, would have come to Andrew. which Thank goodness it never it didn't. Um, but that, but then and you know the, then Eugenie is is the is the niece of the, the monarch. Yeah, the daughter. Of Andrew. Um, yeah. But you know those those young women are able to live relatively private lives, and to then, when you're little, have that the chance of that private life just taken from you, and you know that was it. There was no backing out. Uh, not after what she'd seen to what she what becoming king had done to her father, uh, mm-hmm. who was never a very robust man in terms of his health. Uh, even when he was a young man, he was you know, he was a, he was a very good athlete. He, he was, uh, he competed at Wimbledon a number of times. He was such a good wow. uh, tennis player. Oh, um, I didn't know that. It, And if you look at pictures of King George as a young man, he was very, very handsome. I just a very, you know, I mean, he was a real catch. Um, and, uh, but he never expected to become king, he was never trained to be, or educated to become king, and he had the, a personal level of shyness because he had um, the speech impediment um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that he overcome, most of us will have seen that, love you know, The King's Speech, which I thought was quite a lovely movie, mm-hmm. um, and and so, but the strain of being king during the war, uh, you know, it's, it destroyed his health. Um, and uh, um, and so the the queen, you know, Princess Elizabeth and the queen, she was a witness to all of that. And so the thought of her ever stepping aside and leaving it to somebody else to do uh, was unthinkable. Um, yeah. This was the job for good or for bad. Um, yes. This was the job that she'd been given for life. Um and, uh, and to her, just to finish off, it was also she considered it on the level of, if you look at it from a religious point of view, she considered it a sacrament that had divine. been made at yeah, her, it was uh, at her yeah. coronation. And it wasn't so much this divine right of kings. It's just that she'd been given this duty and she'd been anointed a queen. And that isn't something you can set aside. Um, sure. Just Powerful. an important distinction is that her uncle Edward, he became king when his father died, but he was never crowned. So he was never oh. anointed as monarch. Um, I think to to uh, abdicate after that is a is a much trickier uh, prospect.
0: Ooh, that's yeah.
4: interesting.
1: I didn't yeah. realize he was never anointed
2: either. Okay, yeah. really interesting. I always I think it's so interesting. Just the thought of her being ten years old, knowing she was going to be queen, and I there's a part of me that wonders of being so young, knowing that's going to happen, and then being so young when she actually became queen almost made it kind of I don't want to say easier but I feel like you're at an age where you don't question so much like I feel like sometimes those those things you know that we're that we sort of um rebel against don't necessarily happen
4: until we're older so um yeah. I, I don't know it's yeah. an interesting and I thing. think she was raised to be dutiful I mean you know yeah of course that that was part of it there is a lovely anecdote that I, I it's the, I don't know if it is true but it feels true which is when the, the girls were told that their uncle had abdicated and they and their father was becoming king and therefore Elizabeth would one day most likely become queen and her sister Princess Margaret turned to her and said oh poor you yeah. <laughs> and I mean I can, I can also I can see <laughs> cheeky Princess Margaret saying that <laughs> of um, course. but, well, but I, it does you know it does ring true that, yeah. that you know of all the things to have fall in your head when you're only 10 years old that's a lot and uh, yeah. um, but i i don't think she questioned it that that being said you know i don't think she ever woke up feeling oh why do i have to do this it was just second nature to her as second nature yeah. as breathing is that that this would be her role in life
2: yeah yeah well and there it seems like there was one thing that she did get to choose if this is true, um, but that she sort of chose Prince Philip, that he was yeah. he was her guy, and she was uh, pretty strongly set on him. So, for those of us who have not heard this story, can you tell us kind of briefly about Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip and then and their real life love story, and then how that worked its way into the gown?
4: Well, it's lovely because um, she was she you know no one knows for sure for sure uh, because neither the people involved wrote memoirs and I I can't imagine in my wildest dream that there's a memoir that we're going to be hearing from. Uh, You know, the publisher is going to be saying, you know, the secret intimate diaries of (laughs) the second. That is not, there may well be a diary, but I think she would have had it preserved under what will probably be the hundred year rule for. for Yeah, I read that
1: her journal um, does exist, and she yeah. wrote in it every day, and it's locked up for 100 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Which,
4: is, which is pretty typical, right? And uh, just to make sure everybody in it is dead, uh, okay. so no, yeah. there can be no embarrassment. Um, but, it, you know, the best uh, kind of uh, uh, guesses are, uh, center on her having met Philip when she was around 13 and he was around 17, um, and that was it for her. Uh, she never looked to know there's just no record of her ever having looked at anyone else ever being interested oh. in anyone else um and if you see pictures of philip as a teenager and a young man he was i don't think the black and white photos that we we typically see of him do him justice he was absolutely spectacular looking i mean he <laughs> just was and the papers talked about you know the greek god and so on but he was tall and handsome and fair like that fair hair and uh and he 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 just and i don't think he intended to sweep her off uh, her feet i i think she probably he probably insofar as he noticed her it was probably just as you know this this young cousin who was just a uh, you know a tween really um but she knows noticed him and she didn't forget um and then it was you know later in her teens probably when she was uh you know it was around 18 or so 18 19 uh that again their paths kept crossing and um and interestingly it it, it looks as if they probably were engaged about a year before it was announced officially so when oh. she was still 20 um but her father he just he you know i can see this as someone of of you know who i have a, my son is 18 and the thought of him growing up and doing grown-up things on the one hand thrills me and the other hand terrifies me uh-huh. and so her father wanted to keep that the us four together as long as he could and so he insisted that she and philip not make the engagement public until she had turned 21 and that they not be married until she was 21 so they waited into the summer of 1947 uh, a few months after her 21st birthday to announce the engagement and then they got married in November Um, but Philip at the time uh, was considered you know the courtiers right the those gray men that we you know we really know their names but who seemed to run a lot of the things behind the scenes at Buckingham Palace a lot of them looked down on him because he was he was quite literally poor he had no money he was wow. um you know uh, a, a a kind of a very uh very distant from the actual throne in terms of his his descent from royalty um and you know the closest kind of uh, uh relative who was in any position of power uh was uh Lord Mountbatten who was his uncle um and a lot of courtiers feared feared that Philip was just really a, a kind of a tool of his uncle to try and mm. and uh, you know gain more power uh within the government uh both kind of you know both soft power and and actual real power and and he was treated as this kind of this this bumpkin from nowhere oh, uh, you know and when you think of it too because he really did ha- i mean his his ancestry on both sides is is extremely distinguished um and um but you know his family uh had been the greek royal, you know royal family for a few generations uh they'd been kind of parachuted in and then and then uh, were you know had to hustle out uh, pretty quickly um and he just he had no home he had, he literally had no home and, uh, he went from, you know, various schools and then in the summertime he would go and stay with a relative. Um, and, and then he was in the Royal Navy where he, he was, um, you know, decorated for, for his valor. Um, but, you know, so he himself, there was, there was no, um, you know, there's nothing, he didn't bring anything to that marriage except himself. And she did not care. I
1: think that was and, enough and for that's her. that's
4: the beautiful thing, right? Yeah. She, and, and that was it, right? That was it for her. And, um, you know, and there there's some more candid photographs from their wedding day of the two of them just smiling at each other, which are just lovely. Um, and they were mm-hmm. young, too. I mean, 21 and 24, uh, or just 25. Uh, you know, that's that's. <laughs> I just think of how young they were and, and, but also how long they were together. Um, and how they,
0: how they balanced each other so well. I mean, I think it was just such a perfect, a perfect balance and they each had each other to lean on, which I I think was incredible. Yeah. 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 Jennifer, I, I would love to ask you about um, Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, because obviously that is at the center of your next book. Yeah. Um, I, but I'm I'm curious specifically, what makes, um, or I guess what are the elements of a British monarch's coronation that makes it so different from that of other monarchies um so you know what makes it unique what makes it historic what makes it fascinating and how do you think plans for King Charles's coronation although they have not been made public yet um will, will differ from his mother's will we see some elements that are the same
4: yeah yeah so I think what's fascinating about the 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 it, well until fairly recently uh it would have been the english uh, king king or queen's coronation and then really you know only only from the the 17th uh century onward do we do we see the, the british uh, coronation um but you know it's so it's ancient uh there are elements in that in it that to the time of William the Conqueror, so a thousand years ago. Um, There are even a few um, pieces of regalia uh, that date to that time. Most of the uh, uh, English regalia um, was destroyed during the Civil War in the 1640s. Uh, It was melted down. Uh, I mean, it's kind of tragic to think of because there were some really, really old pieces. At one point in coronation year, I thought about including an element of that regalia as, as you know, a MacGuffin to be looked for, and I, I really, I did a ton of research on it, and then I realized it, it didn't really fit in the book, but I'm, I'm keeping that for someday, maybe a lost crown that someone can discover. But the, the medieval crowns looked very, very different from the ones that were remade when Charles II uh, returned uh, to the throne um, in in the 1660s and, uh, and they had a, a coronation for him. So they had to remake the regalia, and by regalia I mean not just the crowns, but and we saw this at the queen's funeral: the orb uh, and yeah. the scepters. Those are parts of the regalia. they are things like the, um, uh, the, their, their bracelets. There's, there's rings. All of them are considered, uh, uh, you know, in some degree to to one degree or another, sacred items. Um, the The oldest piece of the regalia that exists is a spoon, uh, the dates from the time of uh, uh, St. Edward the Confessor. So again, very, uh, you know, again, you know, the, the a thousand years ago and wow. it's an it's a spoon that that's meant the, the the holy oil uh is put into and then it is it is it, the spoon is used to anoint uh the king or and they was, still
1: have that jennifer they that's the one
4: it. piece that they managed to keep that that somebody wow. i think had stolen away and, and managed to hide um and, and a and thousand then the years
1: old is, that spoon is a thousand yeah years
4: old. yeah and, or or, okay. or in the order of it i mean a day, well before the time of, of the Civil War, and but everything else was lost. Um, and so the crowns mm-hmm. you see today are, are later recreations, although some of the gems in them are, are extremely old. There, there's what's called the Black Prince's Ruby which is in fact a spinel. it's not a re- but it's this huge thing and there you can actually see where it was drilled through at one point it would have been on uh you know on a helmet or something and uh that is that is within I think it's within the imperial state crown I mean don't I I feel as if I I dug into all of the regalia and uh absorbed a lot and then <laughs> had to set it aside and I feel yeah. as if I'll it's get up a- for a test. Yeah. yeah exactly the time of the when when the king charles is is crowned um but there so when with the other european monarchies all of which are constitutional monarchies um uh they things are just much more low-key uh, and that's something that that has evolved over centuries so when a new king or queen uh um is proclaimed it's it's not a uh, a religious ceremony as such they may have a mass afterwards but um there's there's you know nothing in the way of uh, an anointing or that that king or queen becoming head of the church in the country yeah. where they there's a real separation of church and state and you, you see this with the with the Dutch monarchy with the Danish monarchy for example mm-hmm. um, and you know they do things well in their own way and have beautiful crown jewels and so on but there's not a long um, involved uh, multi um, stage yeah. ceremony uh, in which they are they are crowned Um, Mm. really it's it's Britain is the only is the only nation that still has uh, what you'd call an ancient crowning ceremony Um, and it takes what's interesting I've watched the Queen's coronation I don't know how many times now Um, it's three hours long if you watch the completely uncut version I mean three Mm. hours and um, and a lot of it is Caught up in uh, what I'd almost call heraldic uh, rituals. So it, and, and i'm, I'm going to mangle the, but you know they'll they'll have names of the the first uh, uh you know a uh, lord of the of blue mantle Poursuivant, or something i'm, I'm making that mm-hmm. up and and he'll come and pay homage and then somebody else comes and pays homage to the and it would just went on and on and on there's there's those elements um and where and then the young queen would was she curtsies to the, to the, uh, in the, in the four directions. So she's curtsying and and herself, you know, paying homage to, uh, you know, the people of her realms. Um, so that goes on and it just, it, it must've been such a feat of endurance for her. Yeah.
1: Um, and wearing luckily, that crown, they said it was wearing, so, so the, heavy. That
4: was luckily towards the end, but even before that, they are layer upon layer of these very, very heavy embroidered gowns. Um, and she was, you know, she, it, they were so heavy. And then the train was so heavy, the, the young women who were, uh, who were helped, who were her, I guess, handmaidens um had to kind of at one point they had to give her a little push to get her going because the nap of the carpet was in the opposite oh. direction to the nap of the velvet on her train. And they, oh. they kind of glued together like Velcro. Oh my um, gosh. And and so it was, but so that, you know, all of that is, it's very long. It's very involved. Um, the really to my mind, the really interesting part of the coronation is the religious part of it, um, in some ways, because that's the most ancient part of it. And um, uh, the anointing itself takes place under uh, what they call a canopy. If you've ever been. To a jewish wedding it looks like a chuppah to me um and it's to kind of shelter the monarch at the moment of their anointing and uh and you can also watch king george the sixth uh his coronation you can look it up on youtube it's there. british cafe yeah. has it and a uh, monarch is 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 all the robes they have are kind of taken away till they're dressed very simply in kind of a plain white garment and then they're anointed under under this um canopy and that's the moment where kind of the sacred nature of becoming a monarch descends upon them the crowning is kind of is considered extra Um, but you know the weight of the crown it's more than just it's i think there's a literal weight along with the figurative weight of it and so if you if you watch even just the highlights of the 1953 coronation, what to me is intensely moving is the moment where uh, the crown is placed upon the young queen's head, and she's just she's just smothered in various garments and robes and copes and vestments, and she's she's carrying um, uh, uh, you know the I, I don't think she has the orb in her hands. I think she just had two scepters. Mm-hmm. Uh, That were kind of balanced that she was holding and then the crown is put on her head by uh, you know the very elderly uh, Archbishop of Canterbury who looked like he was going to topple over if he wasn't. It looked too heavy for him. There's a moment where you see it set settle on her head and her head goes down uh, because as much as she's bracing herself, it weighs, I don't know how much it weighs again, I think it's seven pounds. Um, and wow. that's the crown of King Edward. It is humongous. Um, they remade the inside so it wouldn't you know, fall right down over her nose, but it's still a heavy, heavy weight. And then she had to sit there while all the lords of the realm came forward and, and knelt before her and uh, pledged to uh, serve her and kissed her cheek. So the first one was her husband. And then one by one, the, you know, the, the kind of in order of rank, uh, the remaining uh, lords did that. Um, and all the while she had to sit there holding and I you just, she looks so alone and, mm-hmm. um, and so, and that's the moment, I describe it in Coronation Year. One of my characters is a photojournalist who, who's there observing. And it's this moment of complete solitude. She's in a, a cathedral that's stuffed with 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. And her husband mm-hmm. is there, her, her mother, her sister, her, her son, age three, is, is up there watching. Um, but she is entirely alone. Uh, she has been set apart, right? And it's something that she has chosen to do. And there's something uh, I just found very, very moving about that. Um, uh, you know, whether you, whether you agree with the idea of a monarchy or not, and whether you believe in it or not, I still think there's something admirable about somebody who who willingly takes on um, yeah. this role. Um yeah. And that's the moment that's the moment that, that I get chills when I watch it. And I again, as I say, I don't know how many times I've now watched it, just again and again and again. But
1: well, yeah. and and your your perspective is different than ours because she truly is. We live in America. Mm-hmm. She yeah. is still your monarch. You yeah. live yeah. in a commonwealth. And you wrote this. I want to point all our viewers. Um, we're gonna post it, but you wrote this gorgeous article for the Globe and Mail titled The queen of our dreams. And it explains so much about what the monarchy means to you, what it means to Canada, what it means to a commonwealth. And although we're fascinated, it actually is your monarch. I mean, when I visited Canada and and, um, her portrait is everywhere, her likeness is everywhere. I mean, she is ever present.
4: Yeah, you she's said. on our money, our stamps, uh, our signs for the highway. Um my mother was a judge. Um the queen signed uh the document that, that made oh, my wow. mother judge. It's hanging there in my study. Um you know, she was very present, and uh, so yet we have. I mean, it's it's not unusual to have a separation between the head of state and then the political head uh, of a nation. You know, they have that in Ireland, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a president and a prime minister, and you know, many. So does France, for example. Um, and uh, but in Canada, we have our prime minister. So you know, everybody knows Justin Trudeau. Um, and uh, but we also have a head of state who is our governor general um most of the time um and then but when the queen or now king is in canada the king is uh the head of state so the governor general really wow. just stands in for the monarch when, oh, wow. when they're absent um it's just, it's uh, so but, you so know,
1: fascinating i mean so i feel I like our start. education about that would take like yeah. an entire episode. Yeah.
4: So. <laughs> court cases are, um, you know, the, in the United States, it would be the state or the nation versus so-and-so, and in Canada, oh, wow. it, it is now Rex versus, or Re, before it was Regina. And and so, you know, it is, and we're part of the Commonwealth, so Canada is one of the few realms that still exist. Uh, there are few and fewer uh, countries that have the Queen as head of state apart from from Britain, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand are, are among them. Um, I think within the next five to 10 years, we'll see quite a number of freeze who decide not to have. Uh, the British monarch as their head of state uh, but want to remain part of the Commonwealth, which is effectively what the empire used to be. It was transformed into the Commonwealth by the Kings or by the queen's father, King George VI after the war. Um, and, uh, and you know what, it it was actually when you think of him and, and his advisors at the time, having the presence of mind to realize in, in those days that the empire needed to be replaced by something of a more positive nature it's astonishing to me in some ways that it happened as early as the 1950s um as opposed to you know more recently uh where we're now all coming to grips with with what you know um what colonialism uh did to to most of the nations Mm -hmm. for example that were part of the empire
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Listen, we could ask you at least 1 million more questions. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I feel like we've only been talking for two minutes. But if you don't mind sticking around for one Absolutely. more minute, we have more to talk about with you. But we have a couple quick announcements. Uh, Mary Kay?
3: Oh, you're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry, the dog came in. You know how that uh-huh. goes. <laughs> We want to remind you to support indie booksellers when and where you can. One way to do that is to visit our own Friends and Fiction Bookshop page, where you can find Jennifer's books, including her upcoming book, which you can pre-order, and all of our books, and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount.
0: Also, our new Friends in Fiction first edition box is available now from the indie bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. And it features signed hardcover first editions from all four of us in 2023. And a Friends in Fiction kitchen towel that says, Dinner can wait. It's time for Friends in Fiction. I'm so excited to get one of those for myself. That's I so know, fun. right? Yes, I yes. so can wait. <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, Christy, you've seen them, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm so excited. Um, so you can order that box right now at Booktown.com. That's Booktown with an E at the end. And again, that's all four of our books in 2023 signed.
2: Also, have you listened to our Writer's Block podcast with all of us and our beloved librarian, Ron Block? We'll always post links under announcements each time a new one drops on Friday. On the most recent episode, Ron and I got to talk to Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Andrew Sean Greer about his new book, Less is Lost. And I can promise you, you do not want to miss that conversation um, coming up this Friday. Um, Ron and
0: It was me, it was Kristen
2: I was going to say <laughs> you saying, you, I was talking about her new Look,
0: you just read my mind
2: <laughs> <laughs> about her new novel The <laughs> Girl which I am sure was incredible um, it so was, listen, yeah. review, subscribe all the things um, and Jennifer we were just going to ask you um, do you have any other books that you suggest we read if we want to learn more about the Queen?
4: There is a wonderful one. And I just had to look up the name of of the author. I I have it uh, tucked away. As I told you ladies before, we're in the process of moving and and most of my favorite books are in boxes at the (laughs) moment, which is driving me nuts I, I keep thinking oh i want to reach for something um one wonderful wonderful book uh, that i recommend is called mrs queen takes the train by william Kuhn k-u-h-n and it's a novel and uh, and it it's i don't want to give too much away but it takes the queen out of out of uh, her world and plops her into ours if that makes sense and it's very entertaining it's a very sweet like a very sweet-natured uh book. And, and I just loved it to bits.
1: What's it called again? Mrs. Called Queen. Mrs. Takes...
4: Queen Takes the Train. it's oh. like
1: one I haven't heard of. I yeah, am Yeah, I love
4: that. Yeah. I have
1: all these books lined up to read about her in my obsession, like The Winds Are Not and yes. um, ah. okay. You know, Palace Papers. I know that's a little mm. scandalous, but,
4: mm-hmm. but it's pretty, pretty fun.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, before we wrap up, one final reminder, you probably know about our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, which is a separate page from our Friends in Fiction page. They are always reading fun books and chatting about fun things. So mark your calendars to join them on October 13th for a happy hour with our amazing podcast host and librarian, Ron Block. It is sure to be a good time. And their next book club discussion is on October 17th with author Stacy Willingham, which is going to be so great to discuss her debut novel,
4: A Flicker in the Dark.
1: So, Jennifer, isn't there someone you wanted to wish a happy birthday?
4: I do. Ooh. I do. And I, I think you all know her as well, the lovely Karma Brown. Yes. Uh, it's a very special birthday for Karma today. So lots of love from all of us. And uh, happy
1: birthday, Karma. Happy, happy birthday,
4: birthday. Karma.
1: Oh, Jennifer, thank you so much for spending time with us and talking about all things royal and coronation and monarchy and your book's just are so fascinating and I'm cannot wait to read coronation year. And of course the gown enchanted all of us. So before you go, can you tell viewers where to keep up with you online and make sure that they Know about coronation year yeah. the second it comes out.
4: Yeah, on both uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find me at author Jennifer Robson, okay. and then my uh, my website is Jennifer-Robson.com.
1: Do you think his coronation will be next year in twenty twenty three?
4: I think so. Yes, uh, okay. my suspicion is sometime in the late spring, early summer. Um, okay. I yeah, I've I've had Just these to guess. Flickers of guilt <laughs> that I have this book coming out of the same. Oh spine. my gosh,
1: I think it's perfect. Oh, oh, yeah. yes. It's the but universe. You know I think of it is
4: an homage yeah. to Her Majesty the Queen.
1: It's like you were listening to the little hum underneath, and look at that. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
1: All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. And all of you out there, you remember you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We are live there every single week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you will not miss a thing. And recently we noticed there's a little bell up there on the right. And if you ring that bell, well, if you click that bell, um, (laughs) you will be notified whenever a new episode comes up. So to be sure, come back right here next week, same time, same place. We are having a Just Us episode. We are going to talk about Kristen Harmel's The Sweetness of Forgetting, 10th anniversary edition and we (laughs) cannot wait to see y'all so
0: for now good night good
3: night
0: thank you for tuning in you can join us every week on facebook or youtube where our live show airs on wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern time also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on instagram We're so glad you're here.
2: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.